The views and the opinions on this topic are the views and opinions of the individual guests, commentators, or speakers, and not necessarily the opinions of the East Cleveland Public Library. Any criticisms or comments, please email them to ebsmithproject at live.com. That's ebsmithproject at live.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. This is a WEBS radio podcast. Information. Uh, good afternoon. We're here at the uh, East Cleveland Public Library, 14101 Euclid Avenue in East Cleveland, 44112. This is the E.B. Smith Project, and the name of this program is On Common Ground. Today, we're going to be discussing how to Survive in America, which is a book by D.L. Hughley, and I do believe the other gentleman's name is uh, Doug Moe. You know, D.L. Hughley's name is Big Letters, Doug Moe and Little Letters. <laughs> <laughs> and we have uh, our honored guests here who are going to be discussing the book. Is the president of the board, Ms. Carol Shaheed, Mr. Ross Cockfield. Ms. Stephanie Tyus, and Mr. Vernon Whitmore. Uh, I guess we can start uh, to my right, and uh, Ms. Shahid, who is uh, director, uh, head of the board, and is also a history teacher, and uh, can uh, start out the conversation as to her position here with the book, which she thinks of D.L. Hughes' book. Okay, when I first read the book, <clears throat> I was thinking about historically how black people were forced here. They're the only group that was actually forced here. And then once they got, they were emancipated. They Well, before they were emancipated, they were trying to get as many black people as possible to come to the United States. After they emancipated, then they're trying to figure out how to get rid of them. Okay, so you have like, <clears throat> it's not in the book, it has Lincoln. He was part of the colonization movement, which is a movement during the Civil War. He's trying to figure out, okay, I'm gonna free them. But after I free them, how can I get rid of them? Because they want to have a country just like Europe. Okay, so uh, Frederick Douglass changed his mind. He got engaged in the fact that blacks were involved in the, the war and they seemed like, you know, someone that was uh, had value. So he started, he changed his mind, he was killed. But afterwards, after the Civil War, you have this movement to get rid of them. So you have the lynchings after certain things in place, and then you have the police force, but it's always this move to get rid of them. So we see today, they have no value on black lives because it's okay to get rid of them. You know, so, and that's what, uh, what actually, you know, the book is moving in that direction as well. How are we gonna get rid of them? And you get rid of them through United States um, underbelly, which is racism today. One of the things, one of the questions come to mind with me with DL, when I uh, look at his book and look at the way he writes, it's how old he is. You know, he's in his 50s, you know. So when you're in your 50s, a lot of the things he talk about is like really emotional, real fresh. But when you get to almost a century, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's where it was. After a while, it was like, yeah, okay, how he gonna bring this to a conclusion, you know? And one of the things I thought about him is he wasn't as hard at the end of the book as he was in the beginning. At the beginning, he was rolling. You know, you got to try to figure it out. So prior to, and then I 
I'll leave that and I'll move on to Mr. Cockfield because he and I was having that conversation before we got started. So I know he can add to this and he's one of them. Yeah, um, you know, clearly, clearly DL is, is, is hitting the mark. I don't think there's any question about whether or not what he's saying is true or, or right or righteous uh, or on point. Um, when I when I got into the book, um, there were a lot of things that obviously that uh, being a reader that I am, there were a lot of things that uh, he was discussing that I felt comfortable knowing. And uh, so I, I, I tended to feel that his his words were more for a younger audience. I, I happen to be um, 74 years old, so I, I thought that uh, a lot of what he was talking about would have been for a, a younger group or people who might not have seen or maybe experienced the same kinds of things that I had seen and experienced. So, um, again, I, I think his words are valuable. I would not say that uh, it, the book should not be read. I think the book should be read. But again, uh, for those of us who uh, say have been through um, this, this, this era of civil rights and uh, rebellion in the cities, um, it's 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 something that it is something that I've I've seen and experienced and uh, have an understanding of and and so consequently uh, there were a lot of things that that he was talking about even though they were relevant and true uh, just didn't seem to feel uh, they they didn't really hold my interest if you understand what I'm saying yeah it wasn't they didn't grab your emotions yeah right exactly yeah, because exactly. emotionally exactly. I'm 75 you 74. Yeah. We didn't been through that. Yeah, and you 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 tend to be emotionally spent. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And you know you just you know, what like what what more can they do? Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they 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 no. I, you know when I watch what's going on in, in Palestine right now, I mean they they have taken it to another level, and uh, and I think that uh, you know we have to be if if we look at history, if we look at. Our history, and I, and I say when I, when I say our history, I'm saying if we go back, you know, as African people, if we go back to, um, let's just say when 1492, when, mm-hmm. you know, when we were snatched up, yeah. okay, if we go back and then try to bring that forward, we know what this man is capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, we know what he can do, we know what he's, we, we know that there, there tend to be no limits and no bounds to, to his savagery, his, his depravity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he's showing it. He's showing it right now. So, I, I think a lot of times we, we forget because we start, we start on the cotton plantation, but it actually started in the sugarcane fields, you know. And one of the things I read at some point is like in, when we were in the sugarcane fields, your life expectancy was five years. Exactly. Five exactly. years. Exactly. So you exactly. go from the sugarcane field to the tobacco plantations, mm-hmm. to the rice plantations, to the cotton fields. By the time you got to the cotton fields, I think you was probably feeling pretty good. <laughs> you know, because you was away from the sugar plantations. You know, and that's that was not that's rough. You know, so I think a lot of times we forget that. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I digress. If I let me go on to the brother Vernon and then get his views. I appreciate that. Um, for me, um, I, I do I do like to say that the book was an easy read. Um, 
it, it attacked a lot of topics that are serious topics, but the way it was written, it, it, it kind of reminded me of his stand-up. You know, he hit a serious topic then, you know, he would put a punchline in at the end to soften it up. But he, he had a lot of serious topics in this book. Um, he highlighted a lot of things that, uh, information that I didn't know. Like a lot of those uh, specifics, like the Tuskegee experiment, how, how, how deep that went, or even the uh, processes where they were, um, the birth control for the, for the black for the black women. I, I was not even aware of that. That was surprising to me. Uh, let me just kind of jump in real quick, and I won't let you finish, brother, mm-hmm. but I, I think that we always, we, we need to be very clear that the stuff that we read is the stuff that we hear about. There's, this is like the tip of the iceberg, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, we, we hear about 10%, 90% went unwritten about, was unknown, was not reported, was not discussed. So, uh, true enough, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that he's, he's bringing out, and a lot of stuff that you know maybe you didn't you weren't aware of. But there's so much, there's so much that we don't know. I mean, it, it's amazing if you really do yeah. research and find out what's really being done. You still don't know, and you still don't know. And so you're right. Yeah, you're right. It, it, you can really, I hear you. you can go down the rabbit hole on that, and you will never come out. Mm-hmm. As far as, far as uh, the timelines and, and the history, mm-hmm. um, but I do understand what you're saying. I said you're yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the things I find that most young people now they don't they don't like history, but if you don't if you don't look at history and what happened in your past and what went on, then you're gonna have a problem understanding where you who you are and where you stand right now. You know. But I think DL was just he was dealing with what he was. And I don't want to get too far from what, from the book, but he was great. He was saying, "Hey, man, this is what I don't learn in fifty years, mm-hmm. and this is real rough here in fifty years." So you got fifty year old, and he's talking. And he, I don't think he even picked a target. I think he's just talking as somebody who is fifty, you know, years old, and this is what I have come to the conclusion about what I've learned. And that, so that's what you said is important. Yeah. So that's Ms. very important. Miss Tyeth, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Miss Tyeth. A lot of emotion, you know, right off the bat from the, the introduction from uh, DL. I concur with Mr. Cockfield that I feel that young people is something that would engage them, you know, with the opportunity to read and discuss, even if it was just parts of it. But I also thought about my father, who's 88, and is very grassroots. And the way he expresses things, mm-hmm. like DL, a lot of times people, they're turned off by that kind of aggression or language. But I thought, well, Daddy would really <laughs> relate to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would appreciate, I think, the courage that it took um, DL to write in such a, I think, a profound way. I was kind of put off at first. I said, oh, is it going to be like this all the way through? <laughs> you know, all this language. But again, it took me back to my father and his way of expressing and um, very honest. And I just wanted to speak also to uh, your point about I wasn't raised in the South, but my grandmother was from the South. And when I got ready to go to school, to college, she was like, no, you, you don't send her there. And I was like, well, I want to go to such and such. She said, no, because you don't know when to rein it in. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that you just can't go down there being so radical. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be best, you know, and I really, I was angry about it because when my grandmother spoke, you know, it held a lot of weight. But as time has gone on, 
I appreciate that mm -hmm. now because she was right. I probably would have gotten myself inserted myself in some situations that I wasn't at that time uh, emotionally or mature enough right. uh, to navigate. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that you think about, and you bring me to my, the point of my grandparents, one of the things you think about, they understand what you're going to be up against. You know, so, Miss uh, They had this program on TV that coincided with the book. It was on 60 Minutes, and this is years ago. But they had the two girls, one 12 and one 14. They went, they were in a hot, they were, it was understood. If you have a baby or you needed medical care, in order to get the medical care, they had these black women sign these forms. And uh, these forms gave hysterectomies. One was 12 and one was 14 years old. And it was like flooded through the South. This is what they did. And Fannie Lou Hammer said herself that she went in for a minor surgery and they gave her hysterectomy. So I'm saying like this whole, I'm just seeing stuff now unfold when I'm older. There's things are happening and I, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, to kind of tie into what you were, were just saying, um, uh, I just saw a friend of mine uh, who happens to be in Ghana sent me something talking about uh, Bill Gates uh, predicting that, that within the near term they're going to be digital signatures for, for all newborn babies. Now, who do they want to keep track of and, and for what? So, I mean, these are, these are signals. I mean, we're, we're, we're caught up in, in science and rockets to the moon and you know, colonies on Mars. But there's, there's always this, this underlying, you know, this underlying motive that we, we sometimes lose track of. And, uh, you know, this is, I mean, we're dealing with some very diabolical people. And, uh, you know, we just have to be aware and, you know, continue to uh, read books like DL's and, and others that let us know that we have to stay vigilant. Because uh, the moment we the moment we close our eyes, that's that's when they walk you out. Yep, yeah. that's right. History is important. Yeah. History is extremely important. We need to understand uh, the history behind us being here and why we're here, and who was here and who wasn't. One of the questions, and I think this is, I, I just thought, how old are you, bro? Uh, fifty-two. Oh, good. If you if you had to question the first question I'm, and I'm is uh, if you had to give this book a theme, what would it be? What would you what theme would you give the book? Uh, examining um, systemic racism that we are, that we go through as black folks mm -hmm. and, and putting a spin on it to where like I say you can hit those serious topics, but you do it in a way in a softer way where it's humor in it, so you so it doesn't spark outrage. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. Mr. Mr. Cockfield, I'm gonna come. come. I'm coming to the, one of the older people at the one of the older people at the table. Is what, what, subject, what subject do you think covers the book better? Um, I would probably say uh, '80s from from the '80s on. Uh, if if that's if that's if I'm answering your question correctly. Well, one of the what uh, reason I want to ask you because you and me had similar understanding about the beginning and the end. You know, mm -hmm. so you know. I, I, I felt like you felt it. I think he softened his position at the end. Well, yeah, he, and, and for good reason. And yeah. like you say, for good reason. He didn't soften it, you know, but he, you know, they writing his check. Sure. So all they got to do is flip a switch. Sure. If, he don't, if he don't come to the right conclusions, they going to flip that switch. 
And, and, and you know, to your point, um, it's difficult. It's difficult for any writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I say any writer, I'm saying that um, we can go back and look at the historical record. We can bring that record forward. We can talk about what's going on today. But when you start pushing it out to in, in, into tomorrow, and you say, okay, well, what, what do these solutions look like? What do we, you know, how do we resolve these problems? Everything gets fuzzy. Everything gets fuzzy because no one wants to, no one wants to delve into the possibilities that, um, that this can't exist or maybe this shouldn't exist or it, it should exist in, a, in an entirely different form. Okay, no one wants to really talk about those things because, like I said, you know, DL is, is on the radio. You know, he says, well, we, gonna, we don't want to hear you anymore like that. So we, we're going to turn you off. So now DL's working at McDonald's. You know, so um, it, it becomes, it becomes a, a, a situation where um, you have to know how your bread is buttered. And, and whether or not you really want to throw that bread away, you know. And so it's, it's, it's a difficult, you know, it's, it's a, it puts people in a difficult light and we're in a difficult situation. It's a, it's a conundrum, huh? Conundrum, exactly. <laughs> yeah, a big one, a big one. <laughs> Ms. Tyus, what do you, how, do you, how do you feel? The two questions I ask, how do you feel about it? I would agree with the burning here about a thing, the thing being systemic racism. Um, I think about what um, was said about our being dispensable or trying to act as though we don't count, we don't exist. That I compare that to what's going on today, you know, with uh, Israel and uh, the Palestinians. And I'm just thinking, I empathize, I understand what atrocities occurred in their history. But at the same time, I always say, well, what about us? There are you can't even number um, the individuals, the, the black lives that were lost. Yeah. And that angers me. So I think that within the, the framework of this How to Survive America, it's giving permission to be angry and at the same time provoking discussion. Um, Mr. Cockfield said, knowing which side your bread is buttered on. When you know you can go but so far, but at the same time, stepping out there courageously and bringing up all these different issues from how we were branded or treated during the COVID, initial COVID, you know, mm-hmm. like everything is blamed on us. Right. But it allows at the same time those younger people or those older people like my father to speak up. It's like, oh, that's exactly how I feel and take it a little further. So if the book has done nothing else but to provoke that discussion, or to make people feel that they're allowed to feel the way that they do. Because like I said, I wouldn't have ordinarily picked this up. Yeah. You know, I would have been like, no, I can't. And I did say the person, no, I'm not, I can't, you it's know. Profanity, it's, I hate yeah. profanity to be yeah. that you fall the things of ignorant yeah. folk. Mm-hmm. But I was, I tried to get beyond that mm-hmm. because of what he was saying, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. We're here at the East Cleveland Public Library at 14101 Euclid Avenue. We're having a discussion about D.L. Hughley's book, it's D.L. Hughley and Doug Moe, on how to survive America. We're back with Mr. Vernon Whitmore, and he had a couple of 
things he wanted to say and a question he wanted to ask. So we're going we're gonna to let him start the session off. Well, one thing I, I wanted to highlight that Mr. Hughley was talking about in his book was we're going to hit back on the medical piece and how we've been mistreated throughout history as far as this medical situation goes. But for me, he, he really it really hit home when he was talking about the fact that older black gentlemen have an inherent fear of going to the doctor. And we wait and we wait <coughs> and, and we just wait until it's like, instead of, instead of getting that care that, that could help save a, a condition, we wait till it's terminal, till you, you, you dragging yourself in. And then, you know, the, and our doctor always tell you, well, if you came in earlier, it, you, you might have caught that. You know, and that just hit home for me as being an older gentleman. <laughs> Not necessarily going through no health issues, but I know it's coming down the road and this doctor thing is an issue. Mentally, it's an issue. But I mean, I'm gonna go. I, I suppose, but I haven't. I haven't had to cross that bridge yet, so I don't know. Well, let me let me just go let, ahead. Just, let me jump in on that. Go ahead. Um, if, if you don't do anything else, you know, get your prostate checked out. Okay, that's you know, don't don't sleep that. Really, don't don't sleep that. Uh, I mean, all the numbers say that that, that black males or black men are. Um, more likely, I don't know the necessary percentages, but we're more likely to to have prostate cancer than than whites or Europeans. So um, don't don't sleep that. Okay. Uh, no matter how how fearful it might be, you know it's something that you got to get checked out because we're medically disposed, you know, toward prostate cancer as opposed to as opposed to others. Okay, Ms. Shahid, I'm sorry. Yeah, and he said that um, they found out that black people's survival rate is higher when they have black doctors. Okay, and uh, he also said that um, what's that from the black on black thing is you should go toward that. If you're a black person, try to find a, a black doctor. And I had a personal experience of osteoporosis. And my doctor, who was black, she left. So as a woman comes in right after her, so they, so they push me toward her. She left, she's from Appalachian. She never touched me, but she said the same thing in the book. He had a doctor that never, if you have a doctor that don't touch you, you know. And then uh, she prescribed some medication for me, and she said I had to squirt it up my nose for osteoporosis. I said, I don't squirt anything up my nose, period, because that's where the brain is. So I went to the gym and started working out. The next year I get a uh, rheumatologist. He told me had I taken that, I would have gotten worse. So mm. when I'm looking for a doctor, I'm looking for a doctor I feel comfortable with that looks just like me. If I can get it, if I can't, then I just move on. Just like as you look at the numbers and everything else. But my experience is that if you get a black doctor, you have someone, and they care more about you. Have a, a black um, uh, primary. We spend there for like ten minutes just talking about me and what's wrong, what I what I think. Whereas other people, they rush you through like cattle. You see a person rushing through like cattle, get rid of them. You have to have someone who wants to listen to you, and that's what you said. Black on black, then it's good. You know, one, one of the things that, that, you know, kind of spin back to the uh, Tuskegee um, experiment, you know, one, one of the things that we, we don't realize is that the, the whole medical profession, um, as, it, as, it, as it matured, you know, say in, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, as, as the medical profession matured, who do you believe were the, were the specimens? You know, who were the guinea pigs? You know, where did they come from? You know, they, they, they came off the plantations. You know, they, they were, they would, you know, sent off to the, to the doctor, you know, this doctor's gonna take care of you. 
So all the, 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 the early, you know, the early, you know, gynecological studies and experiments, you know, we we were the ones who suffered from that. You know, so, um, and th this has all been medically, you know, medically documented, but these are things that, that are not really spoken of because, you know, the, we, the, the whole medical profession would then catch, you know, you'd have to cast a different kind of light on the, on the medical profession because, you know, they're, they're, when they, when they talk about practice in medicine, that's what they really mean, you know, you, you, you know, but who's, <laughs> but who again is the guinea pig? Who are you practicing on? You know, so, so coming back to Ms. Shaheed's point, you know, we have to, uh, we have to find doctors and, and doctors have to find us, you know, so that we're comfortable, you know, we're comfortable with our, our, our health and our, and our health care, uh, because it's, it's a, you know, and I, I think we already know, I mean, the, the, the profession is, is, is like a, a revolving door, you know, you in and you're out, you know, you in, you're out here, take this medication, you know, I can go to the, I can sit on TV and, and write down a list of medications that I want to have, that, that I want to take based on things that I think might be wrong with me. So I can go to the doctor and say, look, I want to, I want some, I want some at ABC and XYZ. And you say, okay, well, yeah, it looks like that's what you got. So here, I'm going to write you a script. And you take it to the pharmacy, and now you're taking something that you don't know what, is it, what it is, what you got, what it's going to do for you, what it's going to do to you. <laughs> you know, like hairy tongue. And you walk, you walk in sideways, and you wonder why. Yeah. You know, and so you, you wind up self-prescribing just based on commercials that, that they bombard you with. So it's it's a it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle, and and, and you got to, you know, you got to seek out and, and find that doctor that's going to have your best interest at heart. We bring to Mr. Tyus. What do you think about? And one of the questions is, is here is about ethnic cleansing. What is your feelings about it? And how, how do you think the book addresses ethnic cleansing in your eyes? Well, the way only way I can really answer that. For me, um, it goes back to the number of black people that were eliminated. Mm -hmm. And as it's not a comparison, this isn't a contest, but it made me, you know, in terms of the um, being provoked, you know, thoughtfully by the book, is, you know, how much more? Mm -hmm. You know, I said to, um, my husband, when we were you know, watching the news about the current conflict, I said black people are still being lynched in parts of the South. You know, backwoods, these things are happening. Crosses are still being burned in places that maybe you wouldn't, you know, even think about. Um, I think about what uh, Mr. He brought up about the hysterectomies, you know, just arbitrarily. You're doing this. There's so many different um, ways you know, that have been implored to get rid of the black folks that built this country. Um, I wanted to say that two things, I, I concur about black doctors because I have a real, you know, I go in and ask them, do you have any, you know, what are their names? I had to ask that question yesterday. Um, I think that when our lives are profoundly impacted by things like that, we need to raise our voice to say, okay, well, you know, we have breast cancer, but there's ovarian cancer, and be willing to share your personal, I say, testimony because that reaches people a lot of times where they where they are. And uh, what I'd like to do at this time is just 
get everybody's uh, final statement about the group. You know, I'll start with Miss Shaheed, and what would be your final <laughs> statement about how do you feel? What what do you what is your conclusions you come about the book? I think that uh, had I still been teaching, I would have used the book for younger people because, like you said, it's written in a way that with the, even though we have the profanity, because I hate. I think anytime you use profanity, you actually reduce yourself. Okay, but what he had to say was interesting. Just like another book we had read, he wrote the book like he was talking to a neighbor rather than just writing the book. Um, uh, there's things that I didn't focus on um, that I knew, especially when it came to the Trump part. And while uh, I, some of the things I just couldn't believe that was going on. But I think that at the end of the day, it's all about about extermination of black folk. They're trying to get rid of you any way they can. That's To me, that's what he's writing about. You have to be knowledgeable of how they take care of business. You have Breonna Taylor, she was killed in bed. She did absolutely nothing. And then you have uh, was it, uh, George Floyd. He's sitting around saying, I can't breathe, talking to his mother, and they killed him anyway. So it's like you have this group of people, which is the, either be the police force or Proud Brothers or whoever, they have this singly uh, idea of eliminating black people. We have to be aware that these people exist and they always have been a group of them, but now they have a bigger voice and they have, they have power because the president that we had before is listening to them and trying to appease them. But anyway, it's just to be mindful that people out here, they don't like you. They will never like you, no matter what you do, just like he said in the book. He said, we have given the best of culture to these people, and they still don't like us. So why is that? What is there not to like? We stay in our lane, you stay in your lane, and we've given you, you copy the culture and everything else. You love everything black, and there's and you're still trying to get rid of us. Ms. They, they, they love our rhythm, but not our blues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's it. That's it. That's it. That's right. Yeah. And you, brother? Uh, again, you know, the book, it really hit on a lot of the systemic racism. But one thing I want to say, it, it kind of like rounded up or, or um, kind of like a synopsis of what happened in the last four or five years. Because if you go through, if you go through, he went through with the George Floyd, the, uh, you know, a lot of event COVID, he really hit the COVID piece. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he hit Trump real hard, too. He had a real. He has a real problem with Trump. So those are some major things I got from from this book. So here we are. This is and you matter. You know, I have a thing about titles, like what you. I think maybe being a former <laughs> children's library, you know, what you call <laughs> program. Is, yeah. <laughs> but the, the title, you know, um, sitting here looking at it yeah. throughout this, you know, how to survive. Yeah. You know, um, I think that with all the different, you know, snippets, the way that he. Um, brings these things forward. Survival is, to some extent, a choice. Mm -hmm. But you have to know what it is you're up against. And like it's already been said that, you know, you have a counterculture that has taken everything and then wants to stamp us out and the fear being having to give us the credit. You know, it's like if they we just put them over here, they don't exist, then we don't have to give them credit for anything. Um, the final thing I wanted to say, because I continue to bring up the language um, and just listening to, you know, um, what everyone had to say here, it made me think about, well, you know, times maybe you need to back up a little bit because everyone has a right 
to express themselves in the way that's most comfortable for them. And sometimes the judgment that comes with it would keep, I'll say, me from maybe having this book as a part of a book discussion. So I've been convicted, you know, on that point Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it really, you know, because it makes you uncomfortable Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that there's no place. And I never thought that. But I'm telling you, I opened, I said, what? I said, mm-mm, I didn't get me started doing this. So I've been schooled, as they say. Okay. And thank you. We're here at the East Cleveland Public Library, 14101 Euclid Avenue, 44112. Uh, and this has been on Common Ground, and this has been the E.B. Smith Project. And the book has been How to Survive America with D.L. Hughley and Doug Moe.